This is a KTF Press podcast. Nehemiah has to do this task. Right? He has to approach just the king. He's scared. Um, so he feels the fear, but he does it anyway, right? And I think that has stuck with me in the last few years a lot. Um, there's a lot of fear surrounding births, a lot of fear surrounding the unknown, but it's okay to feel the fear and you can do it anyway. Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God. I am Jonathan Walton. I'm Cy Hoekstra. And I'm Gabrielle Apollon. What? There's a third person. Yes, there's a third person. We have a guest host today. It's Gabrielle Apollon. She has been on the show before, once on a, on a regular episode, once on a bonus episode. Yeah, I will briefly introduce her and, uh, and then uh, we'll get into the episode. She is a human rights attorney working at NYU Law, uh, mostly on issues of migration uh, of people from her family's home country of Haiti. She used to be an immigration attorney before that. Uh, she is, among many other things and all that, my wife. <laughs> and uh, part of the reason that she's on the show today, aside from the fact that this whole episode was her idea, is uh, that Gabrielle and I used to be clients of our guests, and uh, we will get to her in a minute. We are going to be talking today about Black women and maternal health and giving birth. And uh, uh, Gabrielle, thank you for coming up with uh, this this idea for this episode and for being here today. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but Jonathan, before Gabrielle introduces our guest, could you do the honors, please? Absolutely. Please remember, friends, you can support this show by going to ktfpress.com and becoming a paid subscriber. That gets you the bonus episodes of this show and our weekly newsletter where we curate media to help you in your discipleship and political education. It also gets you full access to the archives of our podcast, newsletters, and articles, and it supports everything we do here at KTF Press. And remember, if you just want to try it out, you can get that subscription with a free month at the beginning by going to ktfpress.com slash free month. That's ktfpress.com slash free month. All right, Gabrielle, who do we have on the show today? Okay, we have uh, Jennifer Reynoso Ing. Um, she's a birth and postpartum doula who provides emotional, physical, spiritual, and educational support to her clients. And as I mentioned, um, we were lucky enough to be um, her clients. Um, and she was drawn to doula work because of her desire to support families, particularly those our system leaves behind, uh, give them the knowledge to make informed choices about their birth experience, and ensure that they have access to the quality care that they deserve. Um, Jen, thanks so much for being here. Um, and before I jump in with my first question, I also want to thank you all for, for making this space for this episode. I think one of the reasons since I really wanted to have this conversation, not just not only because I just had a baby a few months ago and experienced um, this all too all too viscerally, but um, you know this is an issue that affects Black women so significantly and so seriously. And I've gone to church my entire life, and I have never ever heard this issue talked about in that space, which. I think says a lot. Um, and meanwhile, my friends and I have been talking about this like so much. And I know with with you, Jen, and with um, uh, a lot of other Black women. And so wanted to open this space up and, and talk about this issue. And we're so thankful you're here, Jennifer. Um, so let's start with the basics. And for people who don't know, what role does a doula play in the birthing and postpartum process? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so for people who don't know, 
Azula is a non-medically trained community, community worker who provides physical, emotional, informational, and sometimes spiritual support to a birthing person and their family throughout their pregnancy and postpartum period. This can look a lot of different ways. There's doulas who specialize in the birth period, while others focus on postpartum. There are some who do both. There are also some doulas who are full spectrum, meaning that they support clients throughout the entire spectrum of reproduction. So that can include fertility, abortion, and or loss, in addition to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. For me, I mostly support um, clients through birth and postpartum. And what that can look like is, you know, when I start to work with clients, usually in their second trimester, though sometimes first if they reach out really early, <laughs> um, we usually have scheduled meetings throughout our time where we can go over the client's preferences and what their vision for their birth is. We talk about how I can support them through it and practice some comfort measures for labor or ways to cope with the contractions. Um, in our second meeting, we review all this and also start talking about how to plan for the postpartum period, what to expect, who will be there for support, where are the gaps that they can fill in. So that's all prenatally. Once a client is in labor, I provide phone support throughout the early stages of their labor, giving support and advice for different positions to, to try, advice on when to start heading to the hospital, when to join them. Um, and then I provide in-person support once they're in the active portion of their labor, and I stay with them throughout their whole labor, however long that might be until they give birth, and also to provide a few hours of support postpartum just to make sure that they're transitioning well. Um, and that postpartum period is also really critical too in terms of the health of the mom and baby. So looking at, um, yeah, making sure that everything is transitioning well. And if I remember right, uh, kind of helping Gabrielle process the, the birth experience and talk through it and all that, it was another I think important thing you did postpartum that helped us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So in addition to saying like a few, yeah, a few hours after the, the baby is born, you know, wherever that is, if it's the hospital or at home, I also provide a postpartum visit at the client's home, usually between anywhere between three and 10 days after the birth to do exactly that, just to check in on them, process the birth, answer any questions and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And well, sorry, I don't know what you were going to say, but I think, uh, not recognizing ahead of time, like how much it would feel like such a whirlwind and not having the space to process as it's happening. Mm. That space really was um, incredibly valuable to be like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> and making space for that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, you're in it and it's, it's, it's just hard to know. It's hard to, one, it's hard to remember everything, right? Because one, it can happen so fast and like you're on low sleep and all these things are happening, right? So yeah, a lot of that conversation is like, okay, this is a timeline of what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. And usually people are surprised. They're like, what? I thought that was yes. like yeah. two minutes and it was really two hours. Mm -hmm. Like, who you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I actually remember that specifically being helpful. You like writing down a timeline, like you were taking notes during the whole birth and then just like seeing those notes and being like, oh, interesting. That's when that happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody was asleep and... Gabrielle wasn't, but a lot of people are on a lot of drugs <laughs> at the time too. So it's yeah. helpful. Mm -hmm. And so now, now that we know what a doula is, uh, we would love to know one: Why did you decide to come a, become a doula? And like, as you were talking about all these things, like, how does your faith and spiritual practices like influence the work that you do as a doula? Yeah, that's a really good question. 
So I knew nothing about birth and pregnancy and postpartum <laughs> until I got pregnant. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, and I think that's the case for most people, right? So there's a huge learning curve in the beginning um, for me. And, you know, I did have some friends who had who had babies and they recommended taking a childbirth ed class. So I did that. Um, and with that, I felt, okay, I have more knowledge. I feel more empowered. I kind of have a sense of what what's to expect. Um, and so with that me and my husband, Evan, we felt good um, with, okay, we know kind of what to expect, we're prepared, all that stuff. Um, Fast forward kind of to the later periods of my pregnancy, um, I just had a few run-ins with uh, some of the providers that I had that didn't sit well with me. Um, Mm. They made me feel like I was making wrong the wrong choices and things like that. And I was like, where is all this coming from? Because up until that point, like everything was fine. Um, And so it wasn't until those later weeks that I was like, you know what, maybe we should get a doula. (laughs) Um, We had learned about them in our class, but, you know, I didn't necessarily think much of it. Also, a lot of the doulas that I saw in the class were mostly white. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what this thing is that white people are doing. Um, (laughs) I was like, that's not for me, I guess. I don't know. Um, But anyway, fast forward, I did get connected to a few doulas of color. Um, They exist. And yeah, I decided to have uh, one for my birth. And I think that really made a huge difference in our support. Uh, You know, my birth wasn't necessarily traumatic or anything, but it was long um, and there was a lot Mm. that happened. And so just, you know, what I described earlier, being able to have that um, other perspective in the room to kind of check in with, to guide us uh, when we we had to make decisions and also just to give my partner a break, um, you know, it just made the experience a lot smoother. And I remember specifically after the birth, uh, it's it's common after the birth to kind of get chills and like kind of shake a lot um, just because of the different hormone changes that are happening in your body. And I remember being like, what is happening to me? And mm-hmm. I distinctly remember my doula placing like her hand on me and being like, this is okay. This is normal. And just like that reassurance is so, mm. is so it just made me feel like back in my body, like, okay, like I am present. This is okay. Um, and so, yeah, just, it's hard to put a value on that kind of like support, you know? Yeah. Hmm. And so it was just really, yeah, helpful to have anyway. So, so that, you know, that experience, um, and also knowing that like, you know, we were pretty privileged to be able to pay for a doula last minute and have them at our, at our birth. Uh, when I was a couple months postpartum, I, you know, I couldn't stop learning about everything birth. And so I took my first training um, at that point with Ancient Song, because they did have a an emphasis on equity and uh, working with marginalized communities. Um, and that's something that I wanted to incorporate in my work if I, if I was to become a doula. So yeah, that's where I started. The whole thing about like, just actually having no idea of what is going to happen, because you've never done this before, and having someone in the room who has not only done it before sometimes, but also has been to so many other births was like, Deeply reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One one thing yeah. that happened with us is we were really early on and Gabrielle was hooked up to all of the um like monitoring machines. We were supposed to have like wireless monitoring in our hospital, but the hospital was so full that night that we had to be hooked up to machines. And Gabrielle was just like, I need to go to the bathroom. And I was like, Well, how do we do that? Because you're hooked up to all these machines. I guess we gotta call the nurse. <laughs> and and like before I could do anything. Jen just is like, okay, and just unplugs her from all the machines. And like, let's go. I was like, we can do that? <laughs> but like, like, yes, you can totally do that. Of course, you can. like now I know, yeah, there's that's no problem at all. But just, yeah, like Gabrielle said, having somebody there 
who has been through this and knows what they're doing and knows all the boundaries and whatever is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in regards to my faith, my faith impacts my work deeply because it's a it's a big part of who I am. There's so much unknown and so much to know in this work that you know I find myself relying heavily on my relationship with God and discernment to prepare myself before I meet with someone, whether that's a prenatal meeting or postpartum or at the birth, or as I think about what questions I need to ask them or even what to say in the moment. Mm-hmm. This work is a gift of service. Actually, the word doula means a woman who serves in Greek. Actually, some people say slave. And so that's why I have some trouble saying the word doula sometimes. But anyway, um, to make sure that I'm not serving from an empty place, right? I have to be filling myself up regularly. Mm. And I think that like, I, for me, as as someone of faith too, having a doula who I knew was like praying for me and who even these, you gave me these like little cards with scriptures on them, but women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know why, but those I just like clung to at various, I mean, I do know why, but you know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> I just seeing that and, and having that, that type of encouragement to you really did mean a lot. And I know we'll talk about this further, but, and later on, but I really struggled with a lot of fear and anxiety, um, about childbirth. And by fear, I mean like terror. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I think that that part was critical for me to to know that one, and in, in large part because of what we're talking about today, right? The the role of racism and the treatment of Black women um, in these spaces. And so one, to be able to, to delve into that with you, but two, to also be like, yeah, this isn't only up to us and I really need Jesus to come through because I, um, yeah, just wrestling with all those things. So, yeah. Can, could you, Jen, give us kind of an overview, uh, speaking of what Gabrielle just said, of some of the issues that we see when we're looking at disparities for Black women and birthing people in the healthcare system, and then maybe an idea of, of some of what you actually see, because you are serving, uh, obviously, clients of all races at the same hospitals in New York City. So can you give us an, an idea of kind of the differences that you see between your white and BIPOC clients? Yeah. So, you know, I think... Most people, you know, you read the headlines and you and you see and you know that black mothers tend to have the worst outcomes in regards to pregnancy out of all groups, even when you take into account income. There's a New York Times article that came out earlier this year that really went in, in depth into that. To me, that suggests that the problems are pervasive and structural in the system of healthcare, right? It's not necessarily just one part, but it's also a reflection of our larger society as well. For example, I've heard countless of stories of women receiving microaggressions when they're getting cared for, adding to an already stressful period, as Gabrielle mentioned, Um, right? Now you have people questioning your competence, your identity, uh, and that's, you know, that's not something that people need to be dealing with when they are in about to bring a new life into this world. I mean, I think I appreciate you bringing up that article because I think some of the things that that shock me um, are are the realities, you know, that black women are, are three to four times more likely to die from complications surrounding pregnancy and childbirth than white women. And as you mentioned, even if you control for, for income or education. So I think in that article, um, there was a recent study um, in California and they they followed I think it was like a decade of births and they still found that the richest black mothers and babies were twice as likely to die from childbirth as the richest white mothers and babies which like 
is staggering to me for all sorts of reasons. We've seen in the news, we've heard about Beyonce, Serena Williams, like literally the most famous black women kind of on earth, or at least in America, having these issues and being having to fight for their for their concerns to be heard. Um, and and so I think, you know, we'll again we'll go into this, but just the the realities, if you're bringing that all of that information into your own experience of trying to get ready to have a baby. Um, yeah, they're terrifying. Yeah. Also too, like, we just had like, you know, an Olympian, like a pass away, you know, uh, from Tori Bowie, like, shedding another lens. It's like, it's not about if you're athletic. It's not about if you're wealthy, like, we actually need to address racism. I think it's really helpful that like, you know, more articles are coming out because it to, to debunk the 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 automatic myths that we would already would automatically like come up. It's like it must have been this, it must have been this, it must have been that. Like, no, like it's actually about white supremacy and anti-blackness. Since that New York Times article was was kind of ga- the the spark for Gabrielle's inspiration for this episode, I will put that in the show notes if anyone wants to read it. It is sad, but very good. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing I'll say about the article, but one of the reasons why it did spark this is because I think sometimes we do hear about black maternal health outcomes. And so we're we're talking about, unfortunately, you know, deaths of of the mother or the baby or, you know, C-section rates. Um, but it's not often captured what you were mentioning earlier, Jen, like the microaggressions that not even micro so a lot of times, but just like the aggressions that occur to women, black women and women of color when they're, um, when they're experiencing labor or delivery that aren't captured anywhere. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to give an example because, and I, it was helpful for me, Jen, and feel free to to share if you have additional thoughts, but it was helpful for me when you were like, I've n- never seen anybody do this before. Um, and I'll share what happened. But um, so during my birth, I had no idea how long I was pushing for. But as I was <laughs> starting to push, you know, oftentimes you have people hold your legs um, so that you can focus on pushing. And um, one of the nurses um, who, to be fair, I don't, I don't know, I, I think I'm not the only one who sometimes you just kind of have a spidey sense when it comes to racism. Like <laughs> somebody walked in the door and I was like, mm, I don't know why, <laughs> but I don't love that person and I would love for her to leave. But I'm literally giving birth. So I'm like, all right, I guess I have other things I should focus on. Um, So I just like let it be until I'm pushing or I'm about to push and she moves Sai out of the way. She says he needs to go to the other side. And so then that leg is like no one's there to hold it. And so I think I asked her, I said, can somebody hold my legs or something? She was standing right there and she said, I don't hold legs. And so <laughs> at that point, she, I had to hold my own leg. Um, and I was like, I mean, I've never done this before, but this seems weird. Um, and so, but the, the like a kind of aggression and like the animosity with which she said it, I was like, yep, my spidey sense was right. I don't know why, but this, this just doesn't feel right. So after the fact, um, I talked about this with Jen and, and Jen was like, yeah, that, that's never, I've never seen that before. I don't know if you have additional thoughts, but that was just one experience where I was like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, yeah, I had said that I'd never seen that before because usually, you know, it is kind of part of the process, it's particularly in a hospital. You don't necessarily need somebody to hold your legs, but in a hospital setting that when you're on your back, like that is what they do. And like, for the most part, like 
nurses just do that. Like that's just part of their job. Usually I'm on one side, nurses on the other, the partner's by the head if, there, if there's a partner, right? Like that's just kind of the deal that happens in hospitals. Um, and so, yeah, like Gabrielle said, it was just the, her unwillingness and then just the animosity in which she said it was very, very strange. Luckily she, I think, left or was just like doing some charts. But yeah, that's that was really unfortunate. And I'm sorry that that happened to you. Thank you. <laughs> I guess the question, and I think this is a question that Jonathan mentioned before. Yeah. Are there any other like differences that you sometimes see in the treatment of your your white and, and, and or black clients? Because I think for us, sometimes we're like, is this in my head? You know, like yeah, that's a, lo- a lot absolutely. of times you're, you're wondering, but I know you've been there in the same facilities seeing different, different um, clients be treated. So just curious about that. Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind the most for me is that like when someone questions something or has a problem or makes requests, right, if they're a person of color, that is automatically seen as a more aggressive statement um, or it's met with a lot more resistance as opposed to my white comments, uh, white comments, (laughs) sorry, I was reading the comment, white clients. Mm. Yeah, for example, like I remember this particular hospital, I, I remember the first time I was at a birth with a white client, uh, you know, and she made all these requests. All the nurses were super happy, like to serve her all these things. And it was like, there were no problems. And I was like, wow, this is an experience. Um, because <laughs> I, you know, mm. I think I was, I was there, I think not even two weeks ago at the, at the same hospital with a black client. And it was night and day. She had to repeatedly ask for what she needed. She wasn't listened to. And so when that, when that happened, I was like, yeah, you can't deny this. And it's not in your head. <laughs> it's not in your head. We see it. Hmm. What, what in those moments, like, what does advocacy look like with all of that in mind? Like, what does it look to advocate for your clients? So for me, advocacy and my clients, it starts before we get into the room, right? Because mm-hmm. it we have to prepare for that, right? So one, it's like knowing that this is a reality and like what we might face, and so we talk, so that starts with clients taking their childbirth education classes and us talking about it in our prenatal meetings and, and practicing things to say, right, if these situations arise. In the hospital, I, I tell clients, like, that, you know, they are to speak for themselves. I don't necessarily speak for on their behalf unless, like, it's absolutely needed and or, you know, after repeated requests they're not listened to. But, like, you know, making sure that they have the time to, one, decide what it is that they want. Um, and then communicate those desires to their to a doctor. Say, for example, the doctor comes in and they want to break their break the client's water, which is a very common intervention that is offered. And say you want to wait, right? Like so, asking for more time, right? And if the doctor's resistant, I usually ask. The, I usually tell clients like, "Hey, can can they have a moment to think about it, right? Just so you have time to discuss it with your partner without the doctor present, right? Because that also there's a power dynamic there, right? Like. You can't openly discuss your concerns and feelings when you know this person is just like sitting there waiting on you to make a decision that you know that they want you to make, right? And so asking for that space, I think, is important, right? So then you can then go back and ask and make that request for more time if you need it. Regroup and do it more maybe forcefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just helpful to know that that's an option because I, th- I, right, like everything feels so urgent in hospital settings that you're like, okay, I must do this now. And yeah. then someone's like, hold on, you might be here for like legitimately 28 hours. Okay, <laughs> my birth. Um, yeah, and, a, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say that's a good point because yeah, the urgency piece, right? And I think 
that's why people just kind of be like, yeah, yeah. Because of course, like nobody wants to put themselves in harm or their baby in harm's way, right? But they throw that at you like like that's something that you want to do, right? And that's, and it's, mm. you know, it's a fear tactic, but. Like not listening to them is equivalent to putting your baby in harm's way. So if you're questioning them or anything, then you're going to get hit with that thought from them. And then like that thought is it just like comes, it's like racism makes the pathway for that thought a lot smoother. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, you, you don't, you don't care. You're less caring or less, less, I don't know, maternal or less thoughtful or whatever, because you're one of our black patients. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I think one of the things we keep talking about this article, so everyone should read it. But one of the (laughs) things that it mentioned um, was, you know, because you're constantly thinking, you have to think about the racism. You have to think about your child's health. You have to think about all these things. Even when you do want to advocate or you do want to ask more questions, you are thinking about how you're going to be perceived, like Jen, you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, okay, is this going to make me seem... And I felt like this practically every time (laughs) I was... um, I had to encounter somebody who was not my OB because I did pick an OB who was a black woman who I really liked thanks to Jen's recommendations. Um, But there are lots of other people that you have to like navigate and interface with. But I'm thinking, okay, is this one question too much? Is this going to make them dislike me? Is this going to make them like, is this going to perpetuate stereotypes that will make me have worse care? And those are all questions that you're like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So along those lines, Gabrielle, one of the things then that I think that Jen did that was super helpful was like, this is, this isn't maybe not directly like advocating, but like all the stuff that she did to make you comfortable, like what puts you in a position where it makes it easier for you to like when some of your needs are already taken care of, or like when you have people there who, you know, are going to like back you up or whatever. For, for instance, like the moment we got into the room, Jen just like went to work, like getting, like opening all the cupboards, figuring out where like the hot packs are, you know what I mean? Like doing, doing a bunch of things to like get us in, in a position to just focus on you and what you need and not have to like rummage around or ask more questions of the nurses and doctors. Like just taking a bunch of that burden off of you, I think is another way that then allows you to do the advocacy that she has like already prepared you to do. Would you, would you say that that makes sense? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, a big part of, you know, what I tell people is like, yes, you can have a doula at your birth, but if you don't trust your doctor, like there's only so much that we can do as doulas, right? And so that is really the number one priority, finding a provider that you feel comfortable with, that you feel heard and seen with. I can tell, so I have, yeah, I had a client once who, you know, I had that conversation with her and we were discussing her doctor and she was like, ah, I don't love her. And I was like, well, you know, like you don't have to stay with her. You can, you can always change. Um, but this particular client had a particular condition where she was seeing other specialists. And so it was, and like, because of her insurance, it was just too hard to change doctors. And I, you know, I get that. And so I said, okay, like, that's fine. Like at least, you know, we will just, we'll do the best that we can. And sure enough, like the feelings that this client had about this doctor played out in labor where Mm. um, she was progressing beautifully, her contractions were coming, she was completely without any interventions, and we get to the hospital. So she was doing fine and things were progressing, and the the doctor asked to break her water. Um, And we were like, oh, like, you know, we're progressing and things are fine, like, we'll just wait, like, let's just wait. Um, and she she did give us more time, but then she came back again in an hour or two and was like more insistent about wanting to break her water. And we were like, there's nothing wrong. Like, but, e- but even having to have that co- interaction in it with her doctor completely stopped her labor. Like her labor just stopped, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
she was put under unnecessary stress. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, when your body is in stress or flight or fight flight mode, that will stop your labor because your labor in order to give birth, you need to feel calm, you need to feel safe, you need to feel secure. And that is the opposite of how this person made her feel. And so that was just one of like a really unfortunate example of, yeah, how, of how much these small interactions and things can really impact a person's labor. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful for the recommendation you gave um, me. And even to be fair, like from the beginning, I had was like, I'm going to find myself a a black woman, an OB. And I had found one. um, And I actually asked the question, this was prior to your recommendation. I had asked the question, you know, how do you deal with the reality of black maternal health outcomes? And like, she was kind of like, well, you know, like didn't really respond like, like uh, openly it felt like, or, or at least like validated my, my concern. And I was like, this is interesting because you're a black woman. And I don't know why that was like such a weird interaction. And I was like, I'm not trying to have somebody who hasn't thought through this stuff because that's constantly on my mind. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I've heard good things. I'm sure she's, she was totally fine, but like that didn't sit right with me. So I'm, and when I, when I went to see the person that you recommended, she was just like spot on, like ready, had done all this work. And I was like, okay, this makes me feel better because that doctor is also the one that's going to have to advocate like for you when you're, when the other doctors are on call, have questions, when the nurses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, I think that it really matters. Like how are people actually equipped to deal with this particular issue? That being said, because it's in the news a lot, um, a lot more these days, you know, people also I, you know, I, I was concerned when I was thinking about like the other people, um, you know, that were going to provide me support. I was like, all right, how do I know if they're just going to be like, oh yeah, this is an issue, but like not actually have really grappled with it or whatnot. And so I think I asked you this question or, or a combination, um, or a version of this question, but my question for you is like, how can a black woman like determine that a doula is aware of and knows how to advocate for their black clients as opposed to just like providing lip service and saying, oh yeah, we know this is an issue. By asking them like you did um, and like you did with that doctor, right? And I think, you know, that, that it's a really good point that like just because a person is a person of color doesn't necessarily mean that they have thought through this for themselves and are aware of it. And there's a variety of reasons for that, right? Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier, when you shared your experience in the hospital about having a spidey sense, right? Like when you, when you, when you interview a doula or you're interviewing your doctor or provider or anybody, right? You can ask them outright and see how they respond, right? Does it make them uncomfortable or are they comfortable talking about it? Have they, you know, fought, fought it through, you know, that'll give you a good sense of whether this doula is the right fit for you. Um, and we'll also give your doula a good idea if they're the right one for you too. I think, yeah, I think you can get a lot from those initial interviews when you when you speak to a doula. And again, just kind of you're kind of looking to just connect and look for someone you can trust. Right. So relying on your intuition, your spidey sense, if you will. Other questions you can ask about you can ask about where they trained or why they took the training they took or why they got into this work. Right. Like those are great questions to ask uh, when you are interviewing someone. Yeah, so it, it sounds a little bit like just being unafraid to ask those questions, like just be straightforward with with what you need and and see what the response is. I think that's good advice. So I want to talk about how partners can be helpful. And I should be clear that when I say partners, I don't just mean husbands because you, A, you could have a queer couple, but B, you could also just have anybody with you at the hospital, right? It could be your cousin or sibling or mom or whoever. How can 
partners be helpful as advocates? And uh, a question for me in particular, white partners, how can we be helpful as advocates when we are um, trying to help out birthing people of color? And I, and I think, and I'll just say briefly, I think this question is important because not everybody has access to a doula or not everybody has, um, you know, someone like that they can bring in. So, so what, what's your advice for us? Yeah. I think partners are key because you know your partner best, right? Be clear on what your partner's needs and desires are and don't hesitate to communicate that to your doula or your providers or whoever is on the birth team, whoever you guys, whoever you select to be on your team. And that goes with, you know, if if a person um, is birthing either by themselves, um, you know, thinking about through thinking through like, yeah, who is a friend or a family member that you can kind of bring along with you on this journey um, if hiring a doula is is not feasible. The good thing is that in New York City now, they are paying more attention to this and there are quite a few programs that are providing access to doula care for certain people who live in certain neighborhoods. That's an option too. So different community organizations like Healthy Start in Brooklyn, um, the Bronx Healthy Link, um, and now there's a whole citywide doula initiative that has partnered with a bunch of doula agencies across uh, the city to be able to provide free or low-cost doula services um, to clients of color in particular neighborhoods. So yeah, tapping into those community resources. I would also say educating yourself as much on the process as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And remembering that also you're going through your own process with this life change. So being mindful of that and getting the support for yourself too, whether it's another family member or a friend, um, right? Being Making sure that you you are at your best so that you can support your partner too. The education thing is key. That Like getting a good comprehensive, you yeah. know, probably multi-part birthing class. Boy, I learned a lot. <laughs> and there are lots of birthing classes that get offered to you that are just like, you know, two and a half hours in a hospital. No, not enough. <laughs> There's so much stuff to learn about just, just the labor and delivery process. Forget the like actually yeah. taking care of the baby process. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about the hospital classes is that they just teach you how to be a good patient at the hospital. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not, they're not, um, it's not comprehensive as you said. Right. So there's lots of really great community organizations that, yeah, offer that more comprehensive education. Mm. And I will say, like, I, especially in the, but those those comprehensive classes, there's so much information that gets thrown at you that I was like, okay, thank goodness I'm not the only one that has to, like, try to remember everything. Like, Cy, mm-hmm. thankfully, has a better memory than me. And there were things he'd be like, ah, yes, they said this in the birth class. And I was like, whew, glad you remember that because I definitely don't. So <laughs> <laughs> having, yeah, like having someone go through that with you was was really helpful. So we've mentioned, you know, just the these statistics, these articles, the, just the fact that, um, you know, I think for good reason, black maternal health outcomes are being discussed more. Um, but that being said, that does bring a lot of fear and anxiety and trepidation to the people who, as like me, who are the quote subjects of those, of those stats and whatnot, that you're like, oh, the stats and the outlook is like, kind of terrifying. Um, And as I mentioned before, I had a lot of fear and anxiety and my mom had some childbirth complications. And so you're coming into this experience that's supposed to be beautiful and amazing and whatnot with a lot of, um, and I would say like probably justified um, fear. And so I'd love to know 
Um, Jen, how do you balance kind of talking or thinking about these issues with your Black clients and the reality that confronting these things and addressing these can create stress, which, as you said, you don't really want as you're going through this process? And how do you do that without like taking away from like the joy and the and the happiness component that is supposed to um, also accompany this process of, of having a child? Yeah. I find that I usually don't have to bring it up, right? Because most people, especially if they are a person of color um, and they're looking for a doula, they know the statistics and they know the headlines. Um, they know the stories that their friends have told them or things that they've witnessed, witnessed themselves if they've ever attended a friend's or a family member's birth. So I make it my job just to make space to hear their particular concerns or worries and just try to be present with them through it. Obviously, it's not something that we can solve in a day. But being able to attempt to make people feel seen, known, and loved is my goal in these conversations, right? I'm human, so I don't get it right 100% of the time, but that's what the standard should be in any type of care, right? It's how it's what Jesus does. It's how he it's what it's how people feel when when they meet with him, right? And so, right, being able to meet someone in their place of fear and anxiety of just like yeah, of just being present with them and walking through it, um, I think is my is is how I. Um, just try to walk with them through it. And along with that, yeah, I think we have to intentionally center joy. Um, the theme this year uh, of this year's Black Maternal Health Week was our bodies belong to us, restoring Black autonomy and joy, right? You have to make it a choice to center joy, um, especially as followers of Jesus, right? We have access to this joy. Even if our lives are falling apart and the world is on fire, as it often is, right? We We still have access to this joy. And I don't mean this in a toxic positivity way. Um, you know what I mean? Like it could be, yeah. I don't know. These past few years were really hard, right? And I feel like I've personally just started to understand what it means to have joy in every circumstance, right? So trying to remind clients to stay present. Um, I like to open my prenatals with a gratitude with clients making a, or just saying what they're grateful for for that day and centering joy without dismissing the pain. I think that's often what happens in church. We just try to pretend the pain isn't there, but it is, but we can have joy too. Absolutely. And so like Gabrielle was just talking about how like, you know, the fear is very real. And she said earlier that like, she'd never been in a church setting where this was brought up at all. Right. And so like, what, how do you think the church can support black women on this journey of motherhood beyond just talking about it? <laughs> You know, like, are there concrete steps the church and spiritual leaders can take? Yeah, this is this is a hard question for me. Big sigh. Um, <laughs> well, part, I think partly because it depends on the church. But, you know, I think one in recognizing that microaggressions and aggressions exist in churches too, right? So I think it all starts with being mindful of your biases and actually listening to people. Um, listening for what they need instead of assuming for them. Um, I don't know. I need help with this question, Gabrielle. <laughs> oh, I have thoughts. Um, <laughs> well, I think one of the things I was thinking about and the reason I was like, oh, wow, I've literally never heard this talked about. And I, I think we should probably say like, I have gone, I did grow up going to black churches as a kid and then um, was mostly at, um, I mean, predominantly white churches and and I think about some of the things that we've more recently started to talk about related to motherhood, right? So I think we're, you know, we hear a little more about infertility, um, 
adoption, fostering, things like that, which I think are, are wonderful that we're expanding the scope of like what it means to grapple with um, this journey of either motherhood or parenting. Um, but the fact that I have never heard <laughs> anybody acknowledging the differences and I think the intersectionalities in terms mm-hmm. of um, motherhood and race and and all of those things, I think speaks volumes. Um, and I think it especially speaks volumes after people have had these experiences but might not have the spaces to talk about it. I think back to to what you were, um, I think Sai mentioned earlier about like Jen giving me the space to talk about this, including the this, you know, what happened with this nurse and whatnot. And like making, I think one of the things that could be useful is one for like pastors and stuff to really understand these realities, to understand that this is what various members of your congregation might be experiencing or grappling with as you ask how they how they can pray for you, as you ask how things went after, et cetera. Um, but making room for that. And, you know, I'm going to leave maybe some more space for Jonathan as one of these kind of spiritual leaders to maybe share as well. Um, but I think that's a big part. Um, but also I think that like, as, as we know, a lot of churches need to step up and do more related to social justice and speak out against these things. So I don't think that it should just be, you know, doula's work to, to fight and advocate for, um, or even doctors to fight and advocate for change in these practices. I think you should be discipling the doctors in your congregation, the do- the people in your congregation about these realities, and and um and including in conversations about structural racism and and things like that. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting about this question is the the reality that it's it isn't just black maternal health. It's we live in a downstream of a spirituality that has divorced like the embodiment of our faith, right? And so we could replace black maternity with a lot of issues, just slot in the injustice, right? Um, And I actually think um, one of our listeners, uh, pastor in residence, Mercedes Buchanan, when she brought up the black maternity article from New York Times from the pulpit, she actually said, I have never heard this mentioned before. Um, and I am mentioning it, you know, and we, we had a segment for our service that was dedicated to thinking through and praying for black mothers. And like that, that is an outlier among outliers. Right. Um, and so the, I think the minimum is mentioning, right. But it will, but when we do mention, hopefully that creates the space for someone to share an honest prayer request, right. Not a, not a filtered prayer request for the people that you know, let me, I know they're going to receive that and not be, you know, as opposed to um, actually sharing what's going on. And so um, prayerfully, the, after that space is created and the genuine space is created, then folks will, will step into that. Um, not just black moms, but the, the door will open wider for people to bring their real burdens to one another in community is. Jesus invites us to to do uh, uh, to be way less spiritual and way more how I think. You could pay for stuff. Churches could <laughs> boom. Churches this is also true. Yeah, pay for somebody's doula, pay for somebody's birth education class, but you know, help oh, them yeah. get all the the mm. diapers and the eight million things you have to buy while you're eight months pregnant. Yeah, canceling medical debt yeah, is uh-huh. a real 
easy thing. (laughs) And I've, I've seen Jen, like you and other like birth workers will sometimes do like GoFundMes for clients who are Mm -hmm. in like real need. And like, Mm -hmm. what would it look like for churches to come alongside and help support like a birthing collective so that people can get these, these advocates that they, they really do need. Yeah. Amen to that. Okay. So something that I think Gabrielle and I learned a ton about during, during this whole process was there's a sort of hierarchy among birth birth workers with you know OBs and other doctors at the top and then there's kind of midwives who's especially like their home birth work is sort of looked down upon and then you have doulas who like most of the time are not even covered by insurance and uh, I'm wondering what places you see for more movement and collaboration among birth workers both to just support individual clients or programs in hospitals but also for systemic advocacy. Have you seen any of that or do you see a place where that could happen? Yeah. Um, so yes, this artificial hierarchy does exist. Um, <laughs> but I think in order for the free be for there to be collaboration, right? It can't be a hierarchy, right? That's the that's the that's the issue. And you know, I think because of the way that birth has been medicalized over the last, you know, century or so, um, and particularly how black midwives in the South were intentionally erased from the picture, even though they were the ones who trained doctors back in the day, right? Like that's where the knowledge came from. Now, the way that, you know, to be an OB, obviously, right, you have to go through through college, through med school, through residency, right? This is this whole process. And they're very highly educated and they're very highly trained and they are very, very valuable. Their contribution and knowledge is so needed, right? But they they also, they're, they're a specialty, right? They're a part of the picture, right? They focus on complications. They focus on high-risk births, right? And that is needed, right, for the people who need that type of care, right? But the, somehow we got to the point in our society now that like everybody is being viewed through this lens and everybody doesn't need to. For the most part, most pregnant people are healthy. Pregnancy isn't necessarily a sickness, right? Like it's just, it's a life event. It's a, it's a, it's a transition. It's a life stage change. And it's just, that's just not the way that it's seen in the healthcare system, right? Um, the healthcare system is for people who are sick. Um, so, right, so now we have this factory approach where everyone is being treated as if they're high risk, um, right? And that is part of the reason why we see all of these poor outcomes, right? Because it's creating all of this unnecessary stress, right? So where I see room for collab- collaboration, it has to start with a, a mindset change of doctors. Yes, they have their knowledge, but like the person who is giving birth has their knowledge too. They're an expert on themselves, Right. So there has to be more of a partnership um, as opposed to, hey, this is what you need to do. And 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 th- and that's it. Right. Like of being able to walk with people through their care um, and taking them into account as an individual person. That is the midwifery model of care. And there are midwives who work in the hospital, too. Right. But again, there's you know, they are working within the system. So there are constraints. And, and when just because this is not something that I knew before I got into to learning about this stuff. When you say everyone's being treated like they're high risk, what you kind of mean is just everyone's in a hospital, right? You don't go to a hospital otherwise unless you are you have problems, right? And birth in and of itself is not a problem. <laughs> like, right. right? Is that, that kind of what you're getting at? Like a lot of people give birth at home and they just give birth at home and everything's fine and there's no doctors involved. Yeah. So like I, yeah, so like I said, OBs are trained in the high risk complications of birth, right? Again, knowledge that is needed. Midwives are trained in the normal part of birth, in the normal development of birth in a, in a person who is otherwise healthy and has no other complications, right? A person like that does not necessarily need to be seen by an OB in high-risk care. But because there's so much fear surrounding birth, um, 
in our society and in in the narrative that is talked about, right? People think that they need to be seen by an OB for the myriad of reasons that of things that can go wrong. And while yes, things can go wrong, like but your midwives are also well equipped to be able to catch those things, um, right, and refer you to to other care if you need it. I think one of the yeah big difference is between the different models of care, right? If you're OB, right, you have like five minutes appointment once a month, and it's like you know, you barely really have time to kind of answer questions. A lot of times, and oftentimes they work in really big practices and you don't, you're not sure who's going to be delivering your baby on the day of, right? But in, in midwifery care, whether that's you're getting that at the hospital or at home, you know, you often have more time with your with your midwife. Those appointments last about an hour, right? And they just go into more in depth of like what's happening and just care for you in a more holistic manner, right? Because again, this isn't just a medical event. It's a life change. It's a transition. They're supporting you um, emotionally, physically, yeah, and looking at you as a whole person as opposed to just this one narrow view. Yeah. So I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't explicitly say again how amazing of a doula you were and how much you transformed, I think, my experience Um And so thank you again. Um, But because you were such an amazing doula, I want to know kind of who your mentors were, are, who your teachers are in this work and kind of why, why you chose to follow their lead in particular. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I did my first training uh, with Ancient Song Birth Services and they're a birth justice organization in Brooklyn led by Chanel Portia. Um, and yeah, I was drawn to that training uh, because, like I said, after my birth experience and having a doula, I was like, how do other people get birth about doulas? Um, and, you know, how is this how is this not accessible to everybody? Um, and so they really focused their training on working th- with those um, in marginalized communities and centering and centering them. And so that's what yeah drew me to the work there. So I knew, again, if I was going to be a doula, like that was going to be um yeah, my focus and where, where my where my heart was. I also did a mentorship program with Manhattan Birth, um, and that's led by Tanya Wills, and she's a home birth midwife here in New York City. Um, I don't know if you know, guys know this, but most doula trainings are like a weekend, <laughs> and then they're like, "Go be a doula," and you're and I was like, "That's not, I need what? more training and support." Um, and so they, um, Tanya offers a, a year long mentorship program for doulas, and it's amazing. I yeah and. In that program, you also get uh, paired with a mentor, and you're just taught more of the nitty gritty um, logistics and just more comprehensive, right? Because again, even experienced doulas say this: like, you learn every birth teaches you something new, right? Because no birth is the same, no person is the same. Even if it's someone's first, second, or third birth, like each birth is different, each experience is different, um, and so it's humbling in that way, and also I think awesome. But yeah, you're always constantly learning. And so they have that approach there at Manhattan Birth, and I I really appreciate that. And the mentor that I was paired with while I was at Manhattan Birth is Emily Rodriguez, and she is the founder of Ashe Birthing Services, and that's one of the collectives I'm a part of today. Emily has a really big heart for community, and she also taught me a lot about self-care and honoring boundaries for sustainability in this work. And I think definitely without her guidance, I would have burnt out right now. But since we mentioned churches giving money, Ashley has a, a community fund that we use to um, fund clients who can't pay for services. So, you know, if you're feeling moved, you can check out the website and donate there. What's the website? Oh, um, AshleyBurbyServices.com. I also did a 
uh, mentorship program called Conscious Birth Collective. And that was specifically for doulas of color to be mentored by other doulas of color. Um, And yeah, that was also really a crucial part of my training and shaping of my work. And my mentor there was Nicole Jean-Baptiste, who runs CSA Birthing Freedom. And I think, yeah, Gabrielle took some of her classes. Yeah, I'm going to shout out culturally competent um, prenatal things because (laughs) I don't love exercise in general. And I, when I'm not, when I wasn't pregnant, Zumba was my primary form of exercise. And it gets a little, at least my Zumba class got a little intense. And then I found out that the the Sese Collective did prenatal dance classes and Apparently, winding is very good for birthing exercises, and I... Oh, yeah, it opens up the hips. <laughs> there you go. So, pro tip. Um, but I wouldn't have... I, like, wasn't interested in, like, prenatal yoga. I, I did have a great Pilates instructor. I'm going to shout her out, um, Erica. Um, but I, I will say that, like, those prenatal dance classes were it, and so highly recommend. I'll stop there. Jen, you've given so much, so much great information. And I know that there are are more than what I'm about to ask you. But if an expecting mom could do three things uh, to prepare for motherhood and for birth, like what are just three pro tips um, that you would, would recommend? I would say hire a doula. Um, but if that's <laughs> not possible, if that's not possible, find finding someone who can accompany you on this journey, even if they don't attend the, bir- the birth in person, right? Someone who can kind of, you know, take a t- take a childbirth bed class with you or just like kind of sit with you and talk through some of these things that you're feeling and, you know, someone who you feel safe with and can hold space for you. Um, I'd say that's number one, identifying who that person is in your life. Two, I would say spend time with yourself. And what I mean by this is, you know, spend time journaling with your thoughts, spend time thinking about your dreams. For some reason, pregnant people tend to dream a lot. Um, You know, just take notice of the things that are coming up for you. Um, And, you know, take the time to sit with maybe things that you've been pushing away, right? Because chances are that they're going to come up for you at some point throughout the pregnancy or birth. You know, again, this is a transition, right? And so transitions offer opportunity for us to reflect, to let go of things that are not serving us anymore and to, to make room for new things. And the last thing I'd say is remember your power, right? You know yourself better than anyone. You don't need anyone to tell you what to do and you know what's best for you and to start trusting yourself again. This is going to be crucial in your journey as a parent too. Uh, I have this question, but I... No, I was going to end us. You go. I just didn't know if there was anything else. The side told me I wasn't allowed to uh, ask more questions. It wasn't allowed to, is that what I said? (laughs) I snuck minutes. one into the chat. Exactly. So I snuck one into the chat. I don't, but it's okay. You you kind of answered it in the last question, but I, because these conversations can be so much about fear, anxiety, um, I do want to know if you have any words of encouragement um, for Black women who are either pregnant or entering this stage soon. I don't know why this is what's coming to mind, but I've been, been reading through the book of Nehemiah several times this year for some reason, but in there, you know, Nehemiah has to do this task. Right? He has to approach just the king. He's scared. Um, so he feels the fear, but he does it anyway. Right. And I think um, that has stuck with me in the last few years a lot. And when I've had things that I was afraid of doing, like even honestly becoming a doula and now I'm starting the path to midwifery school, right? Like I was afraid to do it. Right. Um, there's a lot of fear surrounding a lot of fear surrounding the unknown, childbirth, all these things, right? But 
yeah, it's okay to feel the fear and you can do it anyway. Mm. You know, particularly for people who follow Jesus, like he is with you, right? Throughout every step of the way. And yeah, to remember that. Yeah, feel the fear, do it anyway, and center joy. Actually, I, I love that you mentioned that. And the verse that comes to mind in light of what you shared is that Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Huh. Like, what does that mean to to bring that into into this? Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amen. Jen, where can people find you or your work uh, online? Yeah. Um, so my website is waterlilyburbing.com. Um, that's where my doula page and you can contact me if you're there. I also am starting a blog um, and we'll hopefully pay more attention to that soon. Um, <laughs> so that, yeah, I'll, that'll be a space that I will just write about birth and my experiences and stories and um, yeah, going forward. And you can also find me on Instagram at Jen with two N's, Reynoso Ng. Uh, will the blog be on Waterly Birthing? Yep. Cool. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Gabrielle, for co-hosting and for coming up with this idea. And thank you so much, Jen, for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for the work you do, Jen. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening today. Just as a reminder, like Jonathan said at the top, go to ktfpress.com slash free month to subscribe uh, to our Substack and get a free month at the beginning of it. You get our weekly newsletter. Uh, with highlights for your discipleship and political education. You get the bonus episodes of this show uh, and you support everything we do at KTF Press, trying to center and elevate marginalized voices as we leave colonized faith for the kingdom of God. Uh, As always, our theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam. We'll see you all in two weeks. Look, Emma, I'm I'm editing my podcast. Can you oh, say, that's the microphone. Can you say hi? Say hi. Hi. <laughs> Good job. Say yeah. welcome to KTF Press. That's not the name of the show, but yeah. Okay, welcome to Shake the Dust. This is a KTF podcast something, something, something. Yeah, Emma, say that. <laughs> you say bye? Say bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>